Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kosaska. Hey, Ben, how are you today? Doing great, doing really well. I'm, I'm excited to get together to talk to you about this show. This is something different. This is something we haven't done. I can't believe this, but we haven't done this in like four years since season three. Where Four you know, years. This is crazy. Like, where did the time wow. go, first of all? Wow. I can't believe, you know, we kind of started off with just you and I in the beginning, especially because you were the newbie. You were just yeah. learning about Twin Peaks. And it was just us always analyzing, theorizing, just discussing the show. And it's funny that, I mean, I'm excited that it morphed into a community show and it became about, you know, inviting guests on and having interviews and doing so much more. But I didn't realize that we kind of totally got rid of that. Like we never, we never went back to season three to kind of analyze and, and just you and I. It's like our lives became busy. After season three, we started concentrating on the book. That was a full year. Hmm. And then the pandemic happened, the, like the month our book came out. And that put the kibosh on a lot of stuff. And we end up putting out a lot of interviews. Yes. Um, and specialty shows. And uh, which was great. I mean, I mean, you know, but we never went back to the well of season three. And we, yeah, we just had so many guests on. And we've been worried, about, you know, we want to like talk to all our friends. But you're like, Brian, there's something that Kyle McLaughlin said in an interview and he also said it when we spoke to him for our book. Yeah, so the topic of this show is if Cooper was a little more present in season three. And what I mean by that is as Dougie, he was kind of out of it. He didn't. He wasn't really there as Cooper. Right. This all starts with an interview in uh, 2018 by the LA Times that they interviewed Kyle McLaughlin. But as you're reading this 500 pages and with your coffee, and you see the character of Dougie, and mm -hmm. you see Mr. C, Bag Coop, whatever you want to call him. Yeah. Um, at what point did you start to think, well, where is Special Agent Dale <laughs> Cooper? Because yeah. I, I really wanted a little yeah. Cooper in there, too. Yeah. Um, did that ever... What? <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> did, you, um, did you forge? Did you start <laughs> leafing through going... <laughs> where did you show up? Yeah. Um, yeah, David had said that it's going to be different, you mm -hmm. know, and, um, but I too waited, I think six, it was six, the 16th hour, I think, wasn't until. I think it was, he, it was in the hospital. Yeah, yeah, he was introduced, and um, yeah, so there were, um, I mean, I will say that in the original reading of it, there were other, um, and I don't, I don't, don't want to speak too much about this um, but there were other things that were that were there that were in place in the script that um, were more of um, um, let's just say Cooper was a little more 
present. So in 2019, when we get the chance to interview Kyle for the book, we bring it up to him. You've mentioned in the LA Times about Cooper, this is season three, that Cooper um, had more of a presence in the script. Can you share anything more about that? During the filming, there were moments where um, he had some lucidity. Primarily when he was communicating with Al Strobel, the one-armed man, when he had Uh connected to that world. And, And... and then and we shot those. And then ultimately, I think David decided that, that wasn't part of the story that he wanted to expose. And so what we learned from this, when Dougie was talking with the one-armed man, Cooper became president. And it seems like they probably had a, an actual conversation back and forth, kind of like basically the, uh, the 16th part where he's uh, lying in the hospital bed and he's able to communicate with the one-armed man. I mean, can we make a whole show out of it? I think we can. I think there's a lot we can talk about. But kind of just that understanding of, it appears that in the script and they filmed it that Cooper and one our man were having conversations back and forth throughout the season. Right. Uh, and it's funny, you brought this up to me a while ago when we, when Ben and myself decided, Hey, we're going to wind down our podcast because we need a break. And, and you know, it's just time we've done it all. Ben says to me, I want to do this topic. And I said, interesting. You know, I didn't think much of it. Right. And the more I thought about it, I was like, okay. And then I watched that scene and I'm going to myself, oh my God. So these scenes potentially could exist. They were filmed and edited out. And then I also thought to myself, wow, in 25 years, when these scripts ever see the light of day, Ben's going to be like, it's community watch season three, baby. <laughs> and let's hope that's right. Right. I hope. We might veer off from the main topic because we might have some other theories and some other things might come up. We're going to go through a lot of the different parts and discuss it, and it's going to tie into this Cooper being more present. It's a what if. It's It's a what what if if show, right? Yeah, it really is. uh, Marvel, I believe, in August is going to be doing their own what if. So what if Carter became Captain America? It's alternate world. Uh, Cooper would have been more present in the show. Just before we even get into it, I'll give you three times where I can clearly see where Cooper uh, would have been more present with the one-armed man. So there would have been when Dougie was sitting on the bed with a green suit, and that's the first time I think the one-armed man appears to him. and and, And I'll get into more detail about that. And then Dougie and his insurance case files. And then when uh, Dougie sees uh, the one-armed man at the Samoans' famous coffee doorway. So that's at least to give you a sense of, I think, where we see where it's possible that this dialogue could have happened. And like I said, we'll go into more detail about that. And we're going to break it up into parts so everybody will know what we're talking about. We're going to, and, uh, you know, we'll have clips from each part to give everybody an idea of what we're talking about. And I I think it's kind of a cool show because, man, I got to some parts and I went, wow, this is something I've been thinking about for a while. And I really have no outlet to say, I'm not going to tweet it. I'm not going to put on Facebook. I want to say it on the podcast, but I was just like, well, I don't know when that's going to happen. And this is the opportunity. So this could be, this is, we could deep dive in a lot of these things. I I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. So So I'm very excited. Yeah. So, Brian, do you happen to have anything for part one that you want to talk about? Part one? No. Okay. So, I have something at part two. So, what I find it interesting in part two is, you know, Cooper is still in the red room, and he, he runs into the man from another place who is now like a tree. Yeah. And the tree says, Don't you remember? Yeah. Oh, 
Do you remember the doppelganger? And he must come back before you can go out. Uh-huh. It appears that Cooper got out in that same episode, but it's it's saying that he can't get out until the double can get back in. And you could say that, well, there's tricks in the, the lodge and the doppelgangers tricked him to get out. I might make part of my argument in this whole present thing is that maybe Cooper did not get out. And I will clarify that as we go along, that Cooper did not get out of the red room. <laughs> I, you know what? I can agree with you with what we're covering today, spiritually or his soul did not. That's right. That's right. I, yes, I agree with you. So that's I where I'm going. Exactly where I'm going. And I actually think this whole conversation we're having is almost an extension from last week's show when we focused on the Community Rewatch episode 29. John Thorne was talking about how Cooper split in two. There's a good uh, Dale Cooper and there's a bad Dale Cooper. And, yep. you know, the bad Dale Cooper is Mr. C in season three. So this is kind of a, an extension of what we were talking about last week. Yeah, I would make that argument that maybe Cooper's soul is still in the red room. Yeah, yeah. And his good, the good version of Cooper is able to get out as Dougie. Yes. The bad Cooper is able to get out as Mr. C. When I saw that again, I was like, wait a minute. The man from another place is saying you can't get out. That's the right. rules. And it's it's established, I think, by one our man later on again, too, is that, like, somebody has to die. In part three, Dougie and Jade are in the Jeep, and Dougie becomes alert when he sees Sycamore Street. Jade, give two rights. Oh, my God. We have a flashback to Laura Palmer because Jade says, You can go out now. You can go out now. And I think this establishes for the audience uh, that we know that there's still a connection. Things are going to remind him of certain things. Cooper appears present. Like for a second there, he looks like yeah. he's alert. Where Dougie is Pretty usually point. kind of like out of it. And you got to push him around and stuff. And it looks like you can see by uh, Kyle's expression that he seems very present. And he's back to Cooper again. That like for, for a split second, he can kind of get it. And it always seems to be re- related to the Red Room, it seems. Yes. Like there seems like things that are happening. And I would argue maybe because the forces of the Red Room is is helping guiding him through this path. Right. Seeing all these clips like I did getting ready for the show, I see these moments now. Now, I have not rewatched season three probably since we did the book. I really want to rewatch now because I'm watching these clips going, oh, my God, I see the glimpse. I see him being present. And I didn't notice that before, really. Not in all of these. Some of them I did. But now I really see it because I'm hyper-focused. So I think that's kind of a cool little thing. Yeah. And when, and when, when Dougie is in the casino, the, the Silver Mustang casino, he sees like the Red Room triangles above machines. And, yes. you know, that's how he kind of wins. I don't feel like Dougie is or, or Cooper becomes more present during that time. But he Dougie is being led by that. I'm going to question who in the Red Room is leading Dougie around. Like, so you see these these flickers of golden Red Room triangles around. It could be the one-armed man. It could be another force. It could just be the, the force itself. I have some theories myself. Maybe the one-armed man yeah. is actually uh, helping him there because you actually see that. But then later on, we'll get into it, but we see like a white light. And a part of me feels that that could be Cooper yeah. doing that himself. I don't know. That's my theory right now. Uh, I'll get into it as we, we go along. Part four, 
And this is where Dougie's in the morning and he's on bed with, with the clothing laid out and the one-armed man appears from him. He's still in the red room, the one-armed man, and he appears to Dougie. You see me, don't you? You were tricked. Now, one of you must die. And Gerard says, you see me, and then he says, you were tricked. And then he shows in his hand the small golden or ball circled thing that is later to be called the seed. Uh, now one of you must die. So I think this is the time where Cooper would have become present and he would have right. had a conversation. And the more present Cooper would have said to Gerard, yes, I see you. Mm-hmm. And how do we fix this? So, you know, you've been tricked and he wants to know how we can fix it. I think there would have been that conversation. I think there would have been more dialogue possibly from Gerard to explain how we can fix it. And maybe that's why he's showing the seed, the orb. Yes, this scene is so oddly edited. Now that I'm just focusing on it, you can tell there was something there that could have, that was cut out that they probably filmed. And I want to go on a limb and I want to say this feels like a Mark Frost thing to do. A more traditional television series mm-hmm. you're you're laying out rules and you're laying out exposition early on for the audience and david lynch doesn't do that but mark frost comes from traditional television so i wonder if these moments were more of a mark frost idea in the scripts where lynch probably was like you know what maybe it doesn't work for what i'm trying to do and then i i'm just theorizing on this one but to me it feels that way because if like you said, if we got a moment where Dougie flipped and all of a sudden was Cooper having a full-blown conversation with the one-armed man, it really would have taken away the big ending, right? The mm-hmm. ending when Cooper finally comes back. But we don't need that information because I, we figure it out. We're a smart audience. We'll figure it out. And I kind of feel like David Lynch is saying, let the viewer figure this out. I don't want to give you the answers, but I yeah, But the important yeah. thing in this scene, the real important part of this scene is that Gerard is talking about the seed, the orb, the golden or- little golden yep. orb, which will later be important when Cooper actually becomes present in the hospital. And he says, you have the seed, I need it now. And like, yes. well, why does he know about that? He knows about it because I think here in part four, yes. Gerard has explained it to him. So they, it seems to me like they had this conversation now that I'm, I'm, I'm able to be 100% active, we can implement it. Totally. I, on a technical standpoint, like, I, I could see why this seems important, but I'm also happy they, uh, David Lynch took it out. It would have been a tease, right? It would have been like, oh my God, Cooper's back. Right. Oh. Like, I mean, it would have yeah. been a roller coaster, right? I it's mean, true. Yeah. It would have been a cool scene, though. Yet again, community rewatch season three in 25 years that would be the scene well you know we'll get kyle mclaughlin to come back out of retirement to right do that scene. let's hope so in part five we're at the lucky seven insurance office and anthony sinclair is speaking about the insurance case we have to honor the claim he's lying and the important thing is that the way he says liar he's it's so different from dougie you know what I mean? Like yeah, Dougie is yeah. so like out of it. And the most he usually does is he repeats what people say. So if he, if somebody says, Hey, you're Dougie Jones, Dougie Jones, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, Nobody mm-hmm. said liar. So it was almost like a switch was turned on and he became present Cooper. And he says, you're a liar. Yes. That's what I thought that I'm like a hundred percent. And I didn't get that before until doing this. I'm like, Oh my God, 
we saw Cooper. We saw him briefly. He's lying. That was Cooper. And this is going to be the last time we see Golden flashing light. It seems like that somebody's trying to direct Dougie to call people out or to go in a certain direction. So it's so funny because, you know, we, we were missing that one scene with Gerard, but we still have these little microcosm scenes with Cooper just appearing, which to me is more impactful, I think, to the story, uh, in hindsight anyway. Yeah. In part six, Dougie is home uh, with the insurance cases. Gerard shows up again. You have to wake her. Wake her. Don't die. Don't die. Don't die. When Gerard's saying you have to wake up, this is a time where maybe... Cooper does wake up and become present for that instant just to have a conversation again with the one-armed man. I agree. Do you think that conversation would have had something to do with the case files? It would have had to been something about directing him to go forward again. But yeah. I mean, I would think it might have had another conversation with the double or maybe he was even going to warn him in the future that uh, they're out to kill you. I mean, it won't yes. happen in this part, but it will happen in the next part that, you know, someone goes to attack Dougie. No, you're right. I mean, because he says, don't die, don't die. And I put a question like, who, you know, what's going to happen? Right. Um, also, the second part of this scene about the case files with the light that little light. Now, we know he goes back to Dougie mode because he holds the pen like a two-year-old, <laughs> right? And yes. he's like, he, he does that two-year-old thing where you don't right. know how to hold, hold a pen. That white light, to me, I don't know. I feel like, is this the spirit of Cooper, which I presume to be sitting with the giant, just taking in information, is he somehow guiding him? It, or is the white light and everything just from the red room. Do you think they're different sources? I mean, yeah, I mean, we haven't gotten into it yet, but that, I mean, that's what I was gonna, I was going to go to is like, is it possible Cooper's soul, his spirit is guiding Dougie this whole time. And mm. when he can't be physically present in exchange with the one-armed man, he is finding other ways to help guide him. That's the argument. And I don't know if I've ever heard this argument, but like, maybe because we're always thinking, well, Cooper got out and stuff. Well, Cooper's, good self got out and his bad self is out but the essence of who he is his soul is still yes. stuck and if you go back to season two you know i think it's bob that says i want your soul so we know his soul is trapped in there that's all they wanted right. he can't ask for your soul i will Take his. They want yeah. the essence of Dale Cooper. Right. And as we talked with John Thorne last week, you know, it's reinforced in Firewalk for me that the good Cooper is stuck in the Red Room. But the good, the good Cooper is able to get out, but his essence, his soul, Cooper's soul, that is this theory that we're working towards is that he is still stuck. And I think he's sitting with the giant. He's sitting with the giant. He's listening to the sound. You have the record player playing and you hear like the different weird noises. And I think he's just literally sitting there for the 25 years. Brian, I think you're right and wrong. I agree with you that the soul of Cooper is with the giant fireman. But I don't think it's been 25 years. In part three, when Cooper went to the Purple World, which is the same place as where the fireman is, he goes to the electrical outlet with a number 15 on it. NATO won't let him get near it until she switches the outlet to number three. I believe the number 15 outlet would have allowed Cooper back into the real world, but would have killed him. 
By NATO changing the outlet to number three, the good Cooper as Dougie can enter the real world, and Cooper's soul goes and sits with the fireman. As the fireman says in part one, You are far away. When the fireman says you are far away, does that mean from Cooper's body, far from the living? Also in part six, Richard Horn runs over a boy, and Carl Rode sees the spirit of the boy ascend into the sky, and this is a golden spirit. And in season three, I believe that gold represents spirits. And he just, he just, Dougie took right over and he just chopped him right in the throat and said, you get off, and I kicked him and I punched him and that was it. And Dougie just took care of business, right, baby? Part seven, Ike the Spike tries to shoot Dougie. Dougie is being let out by Janie E. And they're kind of walking away from the insurance building. And all of a sudden, Cooper snaps and he pushes Janie E. out of the way, goes in into fight mode and just takes the gun away from Ike the Spike. And he just seems, there's no way, Dougie is not with it. He's out right. of the time, he can, he can barely walk. And yet suddenly he's able to punch and get the gun away from Ike the Spike. Uh, yeah, and you know what's funny? I, I remember this scene very vividly when I first watched it. And I think at that moment going, oh my God, fight or flight moment and Dale Cooper, he's defending himself. So that's what I thought, you know? And then over time I was like, oh, wow. But now knowing what Kyle McLaughlin said with that quote and what we're doing today, I'm now 100% sure that was Dale Cooper. He came out to protect himself and his wife. Right. Uh, Because then he goes right back into Dougie mode. So yeah. He, yeah. can, he can't really respond to people. He can't, when, when the police try to interview him, he, he has trouble responding or the most, you know. He... <laughs> grabbing the pen from the cop, yeah. In part eight, Laura Palmer is a golden orb, which I believe this is the spirit of Laura Palmer. Part nine. Oh, I got stuff to say part nine. So Dougie and Janie E are sitting at the police station and Dougie looks at the American flag and the, and the America the Beautiful music plays and a woman with red heels walks by and Dougie follows the high heels and then sees an outlet and he gets focused on that outlet. Is he being directed in some ways to know that the outlet is the solution to waking up? I believe so because we know electricity will wake him up later on. Well, at this moment, we don't really know, you know, what he's doing. But for me, this whole scene, I know when we first saw the scene, a lot of us, our interpretation of the high heels was something with Audrey. Mm-hmm. But now that I look at it uh, out of context and just the scene by itself, I'm like, no, this reminds him of working in the FBI in Pennsylvania. Like, Yeah, maybe being it, a, a true American, looks, right? Being, yeah. being standing for FBI values yeah. and American values. And that woman who walks out, Diane. That could that could be a secretary. That could have been Diane who walked out. Yeah. And it could have been like it could have been his headquarters. And that's what I think it's kind of bringing back the whole FBI vibe. And then, it could yeah, just be, I mean, right. It could be like a dog and oh squirrel. And he just follows yeah. that. And that wasn't what was important. The high heels weren't wasn't important. It was just no. that his mind was wandering and then he, he becomes focused and and present for that outlet to, right. you know, he's starting to put it together. They were red and David Lynch likes the Wizard of Oz, ruby slippers, red ruby yes. slippers, no place like home. Yes. Like the red slippers 
walking right past the outlet, basically saying you can go home this way. There's no better color for the red room than red, red. shoes. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think there's a lot of elements there. It's a simple scene, but it's a layered scene. We can sit here and like dissect it for hours because there's so many layers to it. Out of context, seeing that scene by itself is nice, I think. Part 11, this will be the third time that uh, Dougie has some kind of interaction with Gerard, the one-armed man. They're at the food court, and Gerard yeah. is in a red room doorway of Simone's famous coffee, and Gerard is gesturing him to come forward. And that Dougie does go towards him, and later on we'll get a box that has the cherry pie in it. So we don't ever get to Simone's famous coffee in this Part. I mean, like, right. you don't ever see a, an inner exchange between Gerard and uh, Dougie. So I, and I just theorized that in the what if there could have been some kind of exchange and Gerard would have said, hey, you need to get this this pie or something like that. I mean, he would have just maybe been guiding him to make sure that he did certain things. Yeah, um, I want to believe there could possibly have been a scene cut out between one our man and Dougie or what, turning it to Cooper. But I don't really think we needed it. And I'm glad they, if, if there was, they decided to get rid of it. Um, because I think it would have ruined the surprise, like you say, with the Michigan brothers. And from a story standpoint, I don't think it would have worked. Just to counter that, to say why it maybe it's not something that's deleted there, was I almost wondered if they used the same footage from, I think it was part two. We're in part two, Cooper's supposed to be leaving leaving the, the Red Room, and mm. Gerard is waving him forward. I do question whether that's the same footage used right here in part 11. It might have right. been. I mean, yeah. Lynch has no problems with doing that, taking footage from other places and saying, hey, maybe we need to have the Red Room element. Let's just take that footage of him beckoning him forward and place it right here. So that's one of those times I do question whether there actually is a scene between Gerard and Cooper that's Dougie. A that's a great point. I do like the fact that uh, Mark Frost and David Lynch did create a coffee chain. Quentin Tarantino has his own, like, uh, everybody has their own, like, like fake cigarette company. And right. it's kind of cool that they created their own coffee. Yeah, the Simone's um, famous coffee. And it's funny that they use the Z in Simone's for their uh, logo. I mean, I think that's the Z on the coffee cups. If we go back to part one, it might be the same franchise. So it's kind of cool that this coffee is seen throughout the whole uh series yeah and maybe it's the maybe this coffee is actually just a front and maybe <laughs> there's something going on there i don't maybe. know at the end of part 11 there's centino's restaurant and dougie mm. and the mitchum brothers are hanging out and there's this piano music playing and it seems like cooper becomes present for a second listening to that music and music to me kind of reminds me a little of Laura Palmer's theme, the love theme from Twin Peaks. And we've seen Laura kiss Cooper on the cheek in the red room and and, and the lips. And, but with this old lady, she kind of does the same thing. She's kissing him on the cheek and it kind of looks like the red, that red room scene. And she's like, thanking you again. He, he repeats that when she's like, I want to thank you again. Uh, and I felt like that was Cooper saying that because he w- he was saying thanking you again. So I think he was lucid for a brief moment, like you said. Uh, it reminds me a lot of the he's lying 
moment. I think all the member berries were just hitting right there. You know, the pie, the coffee, uh, the the Laura old lady moment, the music. I think the music was in the air and the moment was right. Definitely. And I just say that old man um, who was from the casino, you know, mentions about how you, you changed my life to Dougie and stuff. And that becomes a recurring theme as we go forward. I mean, the Mitchum brothers said that, you know, you changed my life as well. And I love that. And I think I loved how uh, John Thorne had to say last week about that if you were completely good, it wouldn't be about yourself. He just did things that he thought was right. Pure good. We literally see the pure evil and the pure good. Like, he has no interior motives. He's pure good. And I think that creates goodness around him. I'm going on a tangent here. This is not really a focus of our show, but I, I was thinking about this. You know, in part 13, Sunny Jim gets his his gym, his jungle gym there. Uh-huh. And she says, uh, Janie says, Sunny Jim's in seventh heaven. And there's a whole thing about seventh heaven and that there's layers of to get to heaven. And I think... Uh, there's many different religions, Hinduism, and maybe there's a few different religions that talk about seventh heaven. And I was thinking about this and I was like, could there be seven stages to Cooper? And I, and I was like, okay, there's the red room, there's the purple room, there's outer space, there's Dougie's life, the above the convenience store area, the Dutchman's lodge, and the past to save Laura Palmer. So I was like, is, is, <laughs> did Mark Frost and David Lynch think about this idea of, of different worlds or different places to go to, to for Cooper to return? I like that theory, uh, Sunny Jim's in Seventh Heaven. I, I mean, I think it's a cool theory. I didn't think about that, but it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And I think maybe I think I think it's like a Mark. I think anything Mark Frost could have been thinking about. Right, that. there could have been a, there could have been all these. I mean, they had to break it down to figure out how this journey was going to come about. And mm. it's still kind of funny. Way back before season three happened in January of uh, 2017, the president David uh, Nevins said the core of it is Agent Cooper's odyssey back to Twin Peaks. And I don't think I really understood that quote to understand. Oh no, that is the season. I mean, that is. Yes. Is is really Cooper, you know, returning back, and maybe not even Twin Peaks, back to reality, back to the, the real world. Yeah. And, and the, using the word odyssey, that makes sense with your seventh heaven uh, theory. And I have a theory, Ben. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, buckle up. <laughs> hold um, on to my coffee. <laughs> hold on to your coffee. I have a quick theory about Sunny Jim. And now this theory, I'm going to give credit to, there's a podcast, all right. I listen, podcast. It's great. And I listened to their episode about uh, Janie E. Okay. And they did a whole episode about her. Something they said made me think of some stuff. And I was like, hmm, interesting. Now we know Janie E. is half sisters with Diane. Yes. And they have not spoken in several years. Now, we also know Diane, she was raped by mm-hmm. Mr. Yeah. C. Would it be possible that Sonny Jim was actually born from that horrific act, like Richard Horn was? Jane E. took him in as a baby because Diane couldn't handle it. Diane is raped, mm. ha- has this child, and, says, and basically says, I'm done. I'm, 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 I'm going to continue living my life like nothing happened. I'm going to bury this. Says to her half sister, "Could you take this baby?" And that's it. And they haven't spoken in several years because she doesn't want to be reminded that is her child. Yeah. So, so she hands the child off to Janie, e and that's it. She walks away. That child reminds me of what happened to me. Technically, this child would be a child of Cooper. Is it now? Would it be Mister C? Um, 
Well, it would be Mr. C. See that, but my theory would be Sonny Jim seems to be very connected with Dougie on a very Cooper level, mm. and he never questions why his dad is acting odd. Like Janie does. What's wrong with you? Uh, you know, say something. You know, uh, you know, like she's always pushing around. But the son has this such a connection. And there is a moment, one part where Dougie is outside the house. And I think we have a Cooper moment where the kid's in the car and he looks sad. Mm. Remember, there's that weird moment. Yeah. And so I feel like Sonny Jim and uh, Cooper has a, has like almost a father-son connection. And I also think that we have Richard who came out uh like a bad seed because of his environment look at where he grew up there's drugs and the parents don't care and audrey's not around and her i mean his mom's not around and the dad's not there and he's just a spoiled brat but then shawnee jim on the other hand look at Janie, wonderful mom so it's nature versus nurture my theory is that shawnee jim is the other is the flip side of Richard. Hmm. And I'm wondering if that's why he there's a kinship between the two. And also on top of that, I wonder why if that's also why um at the very end Cooper gave his hair to Gerard and said, I need you to do one more thing. And Gerard knew what to make do. Another. Make, make another. another. And he didn't question it. Yeah. Okay. I, you know? I agree with you. It seems to me that scene, and I don't think I had it in my notes, but when Dougie is crying, I do want to believe that that's a more present Cooper. Maybe yes. Cooper realizes this kid, even if he isn't biologically his son, but I would say it is. I would say even it, whether it's from Diane or it's from uh, Janie E, Janie E is still slept with a a clone or, you know, like another Dougie. I mean, a Dougie, the original Dougie, I believe, was made by Mr. C, first Dougie that we only saw with Jade for a second. So either way, it seems like it's, it's some essence of Cooper. Okay, say so if I change my theory from Mr. C, like you're saying, and Dougie, yeah, it's still the essence of Cooper. So that would be either like, way, Either way, either I mean, way. I mean, it's, yeah, I thought maybe Mr. C took a hair of his and made a... And that's maybe why that Dougie, the, the original Dougie, seemed kind of a jerk. Like he slept around with prostitutes and he gambled and he wasn't the greatest guy. Dougie crying is a more present Cooper. And maybe Cooper is realizing this kid deserves better. This yes. kid deserves a loving family, a father that could be there for him. He wants that his son to have a life of uh, having a father. And technically, it is. It really is his kid. And technically, <laughs> yes. either way, it's his kid. Either way, yes. It's, it's either way, kid. that's why I think there's an instant bond between them. Definitely, like, he does not question right. him at all. He does not say, "Dad, what's up with you?" Right. You know? And you know what? I think kids in general just love that their parents are there for them, and like, I'm sure they're strange and weird. I mean, I'm sure the kids think their parents are strange and weird, no matter if we act normal or we do anything. They're still kind of like, "There's these tall beings that are <laughs> rule over me, and who are these mm-hmm. things?" Saint Jim like laughs when his father comes to the table with his tie on his head, and I think he thinks yeah. it's funny. Dougie was doing that for his benefit to have fun with him and not realizing, oh no. Dougie's just out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Part 
thirteen continues with uh, Anthony Sinclair and the whole trying to drug the coffee of Dougie's breaks down and cries when Dougie's actually he seems like it almost seems like he's doing a pattern that is on his shoulders on Sinclair's shoulders of dandruff. This is a perplexing one for me. I almost wonder if it is a bunch of little white light mm. and he's just kind of like it's almost like Braille. He's just feeling it right. with his hands. I just want to know, to Anthony Sinclair, he feels this grown man. Like, just <laughs> massaging, gently, him. massaging him. Do and the right was, thing. Do yeah, the right thing. Is he, like, sending signals like a puppet master, like, into his right. brain saying, do the right thing? Like, it, what is he doing? Like, this is a weird scene to me. I, it is a weird one. First, I was questioning whether they originally thought of maybe having the golden white light for Dougie to come up to and have a pattern that he's following and, and you know, guiding him. But they didn't really do that in the show. But mm. then with St. Clair, I think it was just, he didn't want to be a bad person and he didn't want to kill Dougie. And he, I think he felt like he was trapped. And then for him to be standing over him like that, he's like, maybe he thought, oh, he was he saw me drug his coffee or something. He, he was so guilty. He felt so much pressure that he confesses. And yeah. But then I do love that scene that, you know, they go back to Bushman's office and Sinclair says, I can't live like this. I only want to die or change. Bush, no, please help me. I only want to make things right again. Dougie saved my life. I want to fix the mess I made. Dougie saved my life. And, you know, in some ways, this is kind of reminds me of Fix Your Heart or Die yes. with uh, Denise and Cole, Gordon Cole there. But the idea that I want to die or I need to change because this is just not working. And, and I love that D Dougie again... <laughs> is helping guiding these people. It's like he's pure good, basically making others want to be good as well. Yeah. Part 14, Cole talks about his Monica Belushi dream. Cole is in a cafe in Paris, and, you know, Cooper was there, but I couldn't see his face. We live inside a dream. Who is the dreamer? Monica indicates to look back to the past. Remembering Cooper telling Cole about the dream he had, Philip shows up. Oh, what? yeah. I think I got it. I think I got something, but speak, go for okay. it. Okay, all right. So obviously, this is a, a one a best a, one of my favorite scenes from the return. It's very layered. I think it's a little bit meta. Uh, who is a dreamer? Talk about the audience. Yada yada yada. But it all leads back to Jeffries and going back to the past. And I think it's basically saying that Jeffries was an agent that could time travel i mean he could go anywhere right um, and he disappeared and once you disappear you're in that world and you're gone for the the real world but you are just moving around i guess freely and i think this dream is maybe a clue a decipher like a, a red room dream clue like we had in season one and season two this is that new dream sequence that needs to be deciphered and maybe it's basically telling us Cooper has to go back to the past. He needs to change things. And basically to do that, he has to become the new Jeffries. It leads back to Jeffries. I think to me, this is that dream moment we need to decipher. And for me, it says to fix what transpired then is to go back in the past and the only way to do that is become the new Jeffrey. And I mean, this scene is really getting into Cole understanding that there's two Coopers. We've discussed this many times, you know, who is the dreamer? And I'm going to say Cooper is the dreamer who lives inside the dream. Cooper yes. is trapped until Mr. C returns. And he can't do any of these things until he's brought back together. Right. Until he's a whole person. Yeah. When we met at the cafe, 
Cooper was there, but I couldn't see his face. Part 15. Dougie's eating cake again. He eats a lot of chocolate cake. I mean, I guess it's all left over from Sonny Jim's birthday, but he seems oh, like he's yeah, always that eating. Oh, yeah. I know. Cake in a sandwich. Yeah. Yes. Jenny E. says, it's like are all our dreams are coming true. And then she gives a TV remote to him, and that's when Sunset Boulevard plays. Character says, the old team's back together again. And a man says, get Gordon Cole. And that, yes. that wakes up Cooper enough to be like, wait a minute, I know that name. I know what I have to do. I got to find an outlet, and I got to get out of here. <laughs> I need <laughs> electricity. Yeah, because we know they travel through electricity. So you, right. like, I need to, yeah, I back need... to Firewalk with me. I mean, yes. there's a whole thing in Firewalk with me about electricity. We 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 live in between the worlds, and you know, and there's a whole thing about electricity is a, a way to travel and stuff. So that's not a, in some ways, that's not a new idea. That no. That... Now, did this scene remind you of Part 18? Because it kind of re seeing it, it did. When Cooper puts his fork in there, you have Janie scream, and the power goes out. You know, so in part 18, you have Laura screams and the power goes out. Yeah, although electricity goes out, it right. was very similar to that. Thought of John Bernardi's uh, Awakening, uh, Breaking Out of Your Trauma article, and he was on our show talking about that. It brought back all of that. That one scene to me is just very familiar to Party. Yeah, I agree. I really do believe Carrie Page is the girl version of Dougie in some ways. I, totally. I feel that Laura Palmer is kind of like in limbo and maybe in limbo because of what Cooper did changing the past. And so she's in this in between. It's that trauma of that uh, the Palmer house that's going to wake her up. So I really right. did believe that end of, of 18 was her waking up. Laura Palmer yep. was waking up. Totally. I totally agree with that. Part 16, there's a hum or tone in Dougie's hotel room. I mentioned this because there does seem to be this whole tone thing in some of these episodes that seem to maybe relate to the Black Lodge Red Room. Yes. Uh, we hear the hum most prominently with, uh, with Ben Horn. Yeah. And there was a hum know. way back in the end of season two, too, that there seemed to be... Yes. People were wondering if it was going to be related to uh, Josie or, or the Red Room. Or... So we, th we get to uh, Gerard reappearing and Cooper waking up. You are awake. 100%. I think this 100% is so important. He, I mean, having, having laid this all out, you realize what he's saying there. What Cooper is saying is... I was awake from time to time through this whole journey, but now I am awake 100%. I am yes. fully there. And it's funny how like, you can just pass by that, uh, that dialogue to think that like, like he's saying, I'm a-okay, I'm all set. But he is mm -hmm. saying I'm 100% awake. <laughs> Why would you say that unless you were partially awake throughout this whole journey? Right. Yeah, he's 100% there. He's got all the information he needs. And I think this pays off so well. And I think if we had gotten this a couple times, it wouldn't have been as exciting. Um, I know yeah. you were very excited, Ben. I was very excited. Like, every so 16 weeks we waited for this. I know. Every week, I was like, this uh, is the week he comes back. I know. And, you know, in retrospect, though, we can look back and say, Cooper was there. 
Cooper was there. Yes. He just didn't notice it. Because the I essence think of him, right? The, I still think the soul, the spirit, the essence of Cooper was with Dougie the whole time. Or was that golden light the spirit of Laura Palmer? We live inside a dream. So in part 17, see this big head of Cooper, transparent on top of Cooper and Diane in the sheriff's station, which is so weird. It's like, why is there a floating, mm. it seems like almost like a floating head of, of Cooper, with Cooper there. That head says, we live inside a dream. My argument is that projection of Cooper's head is really the soul of Cooper, defeated Mr. C., but we're not done yet. We still got some stuff to do. Yep. We yep. still got to reunite Mr. C, the bad Cooper, and Dougie, the good Cooper. And we got to bring them together with the soul. And as Brian has said, Cooper's soul might very well be sitting with the fireman. That is what happened. Dougie Cooper puts on the owl ring on Mr. C, which mm. transports Mr. C back to the red room. Yep. Cooper goes on this journey to get back to the Red Room. Mr. C now stuck in the Red Room on flames, and you got Cooper returning to the Red Room with his soul. They're able to all merge, and in part 18, Cooper is able to come back out of the Red Room whole as a new, I think as a new Cooper. He's, yes. he's you know, he's gone through his journey. He's, he understands the bad, the good, and the essence of what makes a person and really that it's all about, you know, caring for one another and making us all better people. And yeah, I mean, I didn't understand that until uh, we went through this. That that's what seems to be happening. Like, I couldn't understand why Cooper was leaving the Red Room for a second time. And the only reason he needed to be whole first, he needed his spirit back and he needed the good and bad Cooper to make him who he is. Correct. Is it really you? Yes. It's really me, Diane. I have a theory. <laughs> this is going to be an interesting one. <laughs> So he becomes Jeffries. He wants to change the past. He wants to save Laura. This is something that probably nagged at him forever. And now he's the opportunity to do it. And he does it. And I know when this originally aired, it bothered a lot of folks, including myself. Looking at it now, I don't really think it hurts uh, Laura's agency as a person. And I think, I think it makes it more interesting, to be honest with you. Because when you come back from a show that has all this baggage and weight to it, you have to undo something to continue the story along, or why are you here? So this is how I look at it. Laura does not allow herself to die at the hands of her father. Or allow him to abuse her. She runs away. She hides the pain, buries it deep, and says, I, I, I'm done. I, I'm leaving Twin Peaks. Does she bury it in Carrie Page? Yes, she does. She creates a new persona, Carrie Page. She starts a new life. She's a waitress. She meets a guy right? Probably seems like a nice guy, but probably a creep. They get close. And well, he basically turns into Leland Palmer 2.0. Hmm. Um, abusive. Um, I think she finally is like, you know what? I'm taking matters into my own hand. Gets her hands on a gun, shoots him in the head. And that's why we <laughs> see that man. We in see a man room. in the living room. Yeah. Now, I don't, we don't know how long that man was there for, at least a day or maybe that morning. Who knows? But she seems shell-shocked. Dale Cooper shows up just at the nick of time. Well, actually, probably, like, well, he could have showed up to prevent what happened, but he shows up. She's just like, I need to get out of here. I'll go with you. Sure, let's go. Uh, they leave, and I think he brings her back home 
and she is not recognizing anything because everything's so buried deep with her trauma. And then when they approach the house, what is this place? They answer the door. It's not her family. The people who owned it before that was not her family. She does not want to remember any of this. And he forces her to face her trauma. When she hears the scream of her mother, boom, all the power goes out. And Carrie Page had basically now has to turn back into Laura Palmer and face her trauma face on. I think she never faced her trauma at all. She ran away from it. And um, I think ultimately, I think it makes a more interesting character. Um, there is mystery behind what happened to her. Who is this man? She lived in hiding. So to me, it, it makes her character more interesting and gives it more life. Yes. I mean, no pun intended. It gives more life. I mean, it makes her, her story continue. Yes. Uh, in Firewalk With Me, it made sense for what she did because she had no way out and no one was helping her. No, mm -hmm. Everybody was taking advantage of her. But she took matters into her own hand. When Dale Cooper shows up to change history, she decides, I can run away. So it gave her a new path. Yeah, I, 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 I can see that. Yeah, I, I, I'm fine with that. Like, to me, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know? I really was hoping, though, I was really hoping that she would be able to confront uh, Sarah Palmer and can maybe even confront her father, you know, as an older Laura yeah. Palmer. But yeah. you know, it wasn't meant to be. Maybe that's season four. <laughs> but maybe it's the house. She saw the house, and maybe that's that was enough for her. That was right. Her I mean, so all the things that happened in that house, and right. yeah, and I do like that that faint sound of Sarah Palmer calling Laura from the pilot. We go full circle. Sarah Palmer is calling out to Laura Palmer to get ready for school, even though she's already dead. But she's calling out Laura, and now Laura can respond. You know, this new Carrie yes. Page is able to scream out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. Able, I'm here, you know. Four years removed from this. A lot of us did not like the fact that history could have been changed. Mm. But I think I'm more comfortable with that now because I kind of look at it like, well, if history wasn't going to be changed, why did we come back for season three? Huh. Because, you know, why, you know, why did we? It, it, it's more than just Cooper. It's also Laura Palmer as part of the big puzzle, too. True. You know, so. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think I'm more at peace with uh, my theory than I was when it first happened. Nice. Yeah. It's given a lot to think about. So this is our show. This is it. You know, if Cooper was a little more present, I mean, we see little elements where he, he could have been more present with the one-armed man, but there's already, as, as we dig into this, you realize, oh, he was present. Yeah. There were moments already that were on screen where he was present. And why was he present? If we believe that the soul of Cooper was guiding Dougie all along. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this gave me a outlet to talk about Laura Palmer a little bit, Sonny Jim. Uh, but also, yeah, like, I, yeah, he was there all along. And I think seeing these clips by themselves and just talking about this element of the show uh, makes it like a little bit more enjoyable. Like when I do a rewatch, I'd be like, oh yeah. Cause I don't think I, sometimes a scene passes by and you don't think too much about it. Brian, we've got two shows left. Oh my Lord. We have two shows left. <laughs> so we shared a little bit of Kyle McLaughlin's interview that we did with him at the beginning of the show to kind of get you a sense of, you know, where the whole uh, Cooper present thing came from. 
Well, now, next week, we're going to give you our whole interview of Kyle McLaughlin that we did for our book. This was our, our 2019 interview. It's never been shared. The audio's never been shared before. So I'm so excited that, that everybody's going to get to hear this. That's uh, so exciting. It goes right up there with David Duchovny. I mean, we <laughs> it goes had, above David Duchovny. Come it on. does. It does. But I mean, two big stars, two yeah. big stars in their own right. So getting Kyle was pretty wild. And I remember that day because I remember like we both had to leave work early or like get out of work and go into this recording studio. I'm going to take time off because, you know, I mean, when, when Kyle says he, he, he has, a t- has a certain time, you stop everything and you make that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and, oh, my God, it was an amazing conversation. He is a true gentleman. He was super nice to us to give us that time. You know, he did say maybe he'd talk to us again, so here's hoping. Yeah, you know, when we when season four <laughs> comes back, we'll ask for another interview. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny, you know, I had pages and pages of questions, and you know you only have a certain amount of time to, to get so much. But it was exciting, and, he, like, he, he didn't dodge anything. No. I was expecting there were certain times where, like, okay, this might be uncomfortable. You might not want to talk about this. But he, he really did. He, 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 he was willing to talk about everything with us that we asked. Yeah, he was really great. Um, so I'm very excited that this will finally see the light of day. Um, it's our second to last episode of our podcast. Um, and we appreciate everybody who's been like saying kind words to us uh, on social media and through email. Uh, we appreciate it. And I just can't believe we got two shows left, Ben. It's Unbelievable, crazy. huh? We've come to the end. I know. And, you know, we already had Wyndham Merle. We had uh, Ken Welsh on. <laughs> now we're having Kyle McLaughlin on. Yeah, I'm sure we don't have another surprise. Not that I want, unless somebody wants to, you know, at the last minute here. But I, I, think, uh, yeah. I think we're winding down with just the two of us, which is, I think, so fitting because it started with just us. So I think it really is, you know, that last show is, is mostly just going to be you and I just chatting reminiscing and uh we're going to be uh, hopefully hearing some familiar voices from uh, the community that would be nice so it should be a good time if you have a comment a question or anything at all give us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com ben is always on twitter you can follow us at uh twin peaks unwrapped and twitter how has twitter been going i mean we we, we had a milestone on twitter right yeah, we hit 20,000 followers, which is amazing. I mean, that wow. is so thank you to everyone who's followed us. That was pretty awesome. I mean, what a great, what great high to end our show to have that many people, you know, supporting us and following us. And uh, that, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, so cool. So thank you so much. And then on Facebook, we're Twin Peaks Unwrapped on Facebook. And you can give us a five-star review on iTunes. We appreciate it. Uh, we're on Spotify, Google Play. Basically, all the podcast places you can find us. And uh, with all that being said, we'll be back in one week with the great Kyle McLaughlin. In 2015, Dr. Ramp began a direct mail operation after a number of his followers responded to one of his frequent admonitions to dig yourself out of the shit. A central theme of his call to self-empowerment, urging people to fight back and seize control of their own lives and destinies. Before long, he added the ideal tool you could use for the job, a, at first, metaphorical golden shovel that his followers could visualize to help them complete said task. The desired transformation through undertaking this assignment he described as a process of intrapersonal alchemy, 
turning the lead of dull everyday consciousness into the gold of an evolved human soul 